If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to keep marching through Mark. We've gotten to chapter 5. Uh, our passage is going to be actually the second half of a fuller story. Uh, so just to give you a little bit of background, Jesus has been asked at this point by a ruler of the synagogue named Jairus uh, to come and heal his dying daughter. Uh, and so Jesus has accepted, uh, and he is on his way to Jairus's uh, house when uh, along the way, a woman who had been sick for a long time uh, touches his cloak and is healed. And so all of that has happened in the background, and we pick uh, the story up in Mark chap- chapter 5, verse 35. So hear the word of the Lord for you, his church, this morning. And while he was still speaking, there came a ruler from There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up, and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, and it is a light unto our path. And so I pray this morning that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things, in your law. Would you strengthen us? Would you comfort us and encourage us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last summer, a couple middle school boys and I went to Blue Springs on a whim after a Sunday. Uh, And so we went and spent the afternoon out there, went swimming. Uh, And then it's about an hour drive, so obviously you can't have a road trip without stopping at the convenience store for snacks on the way back. So we get this idea, we're going to stop at Busy Bee in Jasper, and so we're driving to the Busy Bee, and I just decide, you know, I have a great conversation topic. I just start asking them, hey, what are you going to get? And in my mind, I thought that this is a pretty easy answer. You get a snack, you get a drink, maybe you get some mints or whatever. It's a very simple, direct answer. Uh, But one of my friends who's sitting in the front seat, as if though this is the normal answer to a question, turns around to his friend in the back seat and asks, hey, how much money do you have? At which point his friend answers $20, and they start to dream about all of the things that they could get at this busy bee with $20. Friends, we were in there for about 20 minutes. And you know, usually I go in there wanting something specific. I go in there wanting my snack. I will go in there wanting my drink. But it took this menial task of walking in and getting something into a, an adventure. I mean, we're walking every aisle in this store, making sure we don't miss anything. They're grabbing things uh, that they've never tried before. They're grabbing things uh, for later. They're not even going to eat them in the car on the way home. They're holding it for later. Uh, 
and they didn't miss a single thing in the store. And what I found so interesting about it was it was this mindset change. Usually I go into a convenience store and I'm asking the question, do you have what I want? Do you have the specific snack, the specific drink so I can get along my way? But they walked into this store with $20 burning a hole in their pocket. And they looked around and go, what does this store have? And they wanted to see every single bit of it. And it's that mindset of going from, do you have what I want to, what do you have? That's kind of the tension of Mark chapter 5 this morning. You see, Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And along the way, I hope you notice, Jesus and Jairus get news that the daughter has in fact already died. And so what this story is, is it's the string of encounters, String of encounters where people have heard now that Jairus' daughter has died. And so now they're actually trying to let Jesus off the hook. They're trying to say, you know what? The moment has passed. The window has closed. What we got you for, Jesus, you can no longer do anymore. So we're going to let you go on your way. But notice every time that a group of people are letting Jesus off the hook, Jesus keeps moving forward. He keeps saying, keep your expectations open. You see, the people are asking for something very specific. Heal Jairus' daughter. But Jesus is saying, keep faith. Let's see where this leads. See, while the people have a narrow view of what Jesus can do, he knows that if they only keep following, he'll overturn all expectations to the contrary. And as we've been studying the word uh, in Mark over the past few weeks and the ways in which God speaks to us by his word, I think we can have that same kind of mindset, right? Oftentimes, we're tempted to bring our own agenda to scripture. We bring our own expectations to it. We're asking that question, do you have what I want? And we become discouraged when we don't get what we think we want. But this morning, I think in Mark 5, Jesus wants to probe a little bit. And he wants to ask us the question, he goes, what would it look like if you didn't come to Scripture with an agenda, but you came to Scripture with open hands? What would happen if you came to Scripture not asking, do you have what I want, but what do you have? And so how can we adopt this posture? How can we read Scripture in this way that's open-handed? I think there are three ways that we can do that. And the first is that we trust that there's more there. We trust that there's more there. So going back to verse 35, Jesus is on his way when the people come and they let Jairus know that his daughter is dead, right? The reason that Jairus fetched Jesus in the first place was because he knew that Jesus could heal his daughter. And so the hope was to catch Jesus and have him come and heal the daughter before anything worse happened. But here at this moment, we realize they're too late. She's already passed on. And so notice the conversation that starts. The people say, hey, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Right? Meaning the reason you fetched Jesus in the first place was to heal, and he can't do that anymore, so why keep bothering him? But then Jesus in verse 36 overhears the conversation, and notice what he says. Do not fear, only believe. Meaning what? Let's just keep walking. Let's keep going. We're, we're not through here. And so Jairus in this moment has a choice, doesn't he? 
Either he can listen to the people who are saying, your daughter is dead, don't bother the teacher anymore, or he can listen to Jesus that, hey, this might not be the end of the story yet. Maybe another way to put that decision is you can abandon the plan because it didn't meet your expectations. Or you could keep following, keep following in faith and see where this might lead. And I know when I frame it that way that all of us can relate to that kind of choice or decision. You've felt that tension before. You've felt that tension where you were confronted with your certain view of God and that scripture was calling you to go deeper. You've been shown these moments where you've put God in a box, that God has a specific way that he works and he never goes beyond that box and that Jesus is inviting you to maybe see that he's bigger than you thought he was. And so the choice becomes, are we going to abandon pursuit of God because it doesn't quite make sense, because it doesn't quite line up with our expectations and what we want? Or, like Jairus, will we have faith and keep walking forward, keep pursuing and see where we might end up? You see, the first way that we approach Scripture with open hands is by trusting that there is more there than we realize there's more there than we plan for. See, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know I'm speaking for myself here, but I think the Bible, we like to carve out a little niche in our life, and this is where the Bible fits. This is, this is what the Bible does for us. The Bible exists to give us good moral lessons. The Bible exists to give us a good spiritual boost. And then we're reading it, we're reading it, and we get to a passage that we either don't understand or is honestly a little uncomfortable because we don't quite agree with it. And we're left with that choice. And instead of staying the course and asking more questions and probing deeper, we say, you know what, Lord? This isn't exactly what I wanted. You see, I was maybe wanting something more uplifting, simple, easy to read. You know, this is, this is leaving me with more questions than answers. And rather than trusting that more might be there, that Jesus might be leading us somewhere we want to go. We say, you know what? I'm just going to settle into my niche again. I'm going to let the Bible stay in the place where I've had it because that's where I'm comfortable. That's where it makes sense for me. One of the church services I was at in Orlando, uh, we had finished church and I was sitting with a group of 20s friends. Um, we were all talking about the sermon, and uh, one of our pastors came over and joined the conversation. And uh, one of my 20s friends, who was very honest, uh, said, you know what? The sermon was really good today, uh, but it wasn't really what I was wanting. I was wanting something a little bit more uplifting. Uh, and the sermon was on money. I think that that's an important part of the story. And the pastor immediately responds, and I've always remembered this response. He says, you know, that's hard. I understand. But maybe God had something else that he felt was more important to bring you to your attention today. I love that because he's reminding us of a mindset switch. Rather than dismissing it because it wasn't what you wanted, wasn't what you were expecting, he's asking you to probe. He's asking you to go deeper, ask more questions because Jesus might be trying to lead you somewhere that you don't even know exists yet, right? Jesus calls us to trust that there is more there than meets the eye. Maybe it isn't what we think we want, but it's what we need. And so when we're faced with that choice like Jairus, we can retreat to the niche. We can retreat to that Bible is in the well-defined space, or 
we can let it run. And we just see where it goes. See, when we read something we don't understand or something we disagree with, rather than dismissing it, we ask more questions. And we know and we trust that God put it in there for a reason. Yes, God put Leviticus in the Bible for a reason. And even though we may not understand it, that doesn't mean we dismiss it, but rather we probe and we ask questions. You see, oftentimes we put God in that box. And Scripture time and time again, won't let you keep God contained to a box. So we have to trust that more is there. Number two, scripture, if we want to approach it with open hands, we have to allow it to overturn our presuppositions. We have to allow it to overturn our presuppositions. I want you to drop down to the next encounter that Jesus has. Jesus enters the home and sees everyone mourning, and he makes this very simple, encouraging remark. Child's not dead, but just sleeping. And how does everyone else respond? Start laughing. Start laughing at him. And why do people laugh? Well, because what Jesus has just said runs against all medical advice to the contrary, right? People don't come back from the dead. They've never seen it before. They're not expecting to see it any other time. And so what Jesus has said is crazy, you don't, you don't say things like that. That's not true. That's why they're laughing. But we know from the end of the story, because we get to sit on this side of, uh, of the story, that we know that Jesus is actually the one who's right. And that he walks into the room and he raises the girl from the dead. But I want us to focus on what happened here. Because the way that Jesus operates in this moment is so critical as we think about how scripture can be transformative in our life where scripture can have that life-changing impact. See, what Jesus' comment has brought now out into the open is people's presuppositions. Presuppositions is a complex word, so what does that mean? Well, a presupposition is all of the beliefs and the values that you hold that help you interpret a given situation. All the beliefs and the values in the back that help you interpret a situation. So if I were to hold a ball and I were to drop it, all of you would say, if I asked you what's going to happen to this ball, you would say, it's going to fall. Why? Because you presuppose the law of gravity. You know the law of gravity, so you can interpret what's about to happen when I drop this ball. Another way that you could call a presupposition, maybe you've heard this term, is a worldview. Basically, it's everything that you've come to understand about how the world and how it works and you have that in the back of your mind in every interaction and conversation you have. And no, you don't go through it all. You don't mention it. You don't really ever talk about your presuppositions, but they are there in every conversation and interaction you have because that's how you have come to interpret the world. Use your marriage as an example. This is helpful. When you're bickering about something with your spouse, it's never about the thing you're bickering about, is it? It's always about something in the background, right? Something that has happened in the past that's led to frustration that's allowed you to interpret something in the moment. And so if you want to have a breakthrough in those kinds of moments, what do you have to do? You can't just talk about the thing in front of you. You have to open up that box of all the things behind that have now led you to interpret this situation a certain way. And when you do that, when you allow yourself to go through what the presuppositions or the worldview were, then all of a sudden what happens? You start making progress. So back to Mark, Jesus is exposing 
all the people's presuppositions. The people around this situation don't believe that people can rise from the dead, and maybe even more importantly, don't think Jesus can do anything about it. They don't think Jesus can do anything about it. So when Jesus implies otherwise, what? It's funny. It's funny. Right? They believe it can't happen and that it won't. But the challenge is, is that if we want to see the transformation that Jesus can bring, it means that we will have to allow Jesus to overturn our previously held beliefs. We will have to see the things the way that Jesus sees them. And that's why scripture, friends, is often tough to read. That's why you often feel that rub is because at every moment, scripture is trying to overturn your worldview. It's trying to overturn your presuppositions. It's trying to take the way you think about family. It's trying to take the way you think about your finances. It's trying to take the way you think about relationships. It's trying to take the way you think about your job. It's trying to take the way you think about forgiveness and grace and mercy. It's trying to take the way you think about yourself and your own goodness and your own worth. And it's trying to take the way you think about God. And it is trying to overturn it. It's trying to reform it. It's trying to shape it. And what happens is, is that oftentimes we come to Scripture with our own lens our own lens that has been formed by the culture, the way we think the world ought to work. And we try to read scripture with those lenses. And guess what, friends? It doesn't work, right? It limits what God can do. But when we take the Bible on its own terms, when we take the Bible on its own terms, it opens up so much more of scripture, Things like what Tim talked about last week with repentance, the way up is down. Things like profit isn't the sole reason of a business's existence, but rather profit is a tool for something else. It opens up principles like forgiveness is not a one-time offer, but seven times 77. It opens up principles like love is not accepting where someone is at, but it's longing for something better for them. And sometimes love may hurt. Right? It opens up principles like death not being the end, but the beginning of new life. You see, Scripture will always feel closed if we want to hold on to our own lenses and read the Bible the way we think it should be read. If we want our way and just to go down the cosmic buffet of putting, yeah, this is a good principle from God, this is a good principle from God, then what does the Bible become? It becomes like ocean water. You can drink it over and over again, and as you drink ocean water, what happens? You just become thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. So approaching Scripture open-handed means that you're reading it with the expectation that nothing will be different, or, or everything will be different afterwards. You're reading Scripture with the expectation that you are going to disagree with it, because it is overturning your presuppositions. It is overturning your beliefs, but you keep going. You don't stop and dismiss it because it's uncomfortable, but you keep going because you know that God is reforming and reshaping you, not to see things the way you want them to be, but actually giving you a glimpse of reality, the way things are in the kingdom of God. So in this moment, Jesus exposes presuppositions, saying, you know what? This is the way you think the world works, that I can only heal people who are alive, but let me show you a better way. Let me show you what I can actually do. So trusting more is there 
allowing it to overturn your presuppositions. And finally, approaching Scripture open-handed means you're just willing to admire the beauty that's revealed. You're willing to admire the beauty that's revealed. So Jesus goes in to heal the girl, and Mark makes this very kind of understated comment. And he uses the word immediately a lot. So whenever you see immediately, you want to read what's after the immediately. But he says, immediately, all were amazed. All were overcome with amazement, right? These are the people who have been hesitant to continue on with Jesus because, you know, they had their expectations for what Jesus could do. These were the people who laughed at the idea that the dead could rise. And what happens when they follow Jesus all the way to the room where the girl is? They are, come, they over, they are overcome and they come find themselves face to face with a miracle. Jesus has raised the dead to life. And for them, imagine you're in that room. Imagine you're Peter, James, John, and you see Jesus raise someone from the dead. Can anything be the same after that? If you've now witnessed this, can anything be the same after that? A pastor friend of mine once said that you can read scripture in two ways. You can read it for information or you could read it for transformation. And reading it for information is you're just getting the quick facts. You're getting the, hey, this is what happened. This is the simple moral of the story. This is what I ought to do because of it, right? It's expedient. It's bullet pointed. And it doesn't really take any effort on your part. You're just reading quickly, getting the main gist, the Spark Notes version. But reading for transformation is different. Reading for transformation means you are lingering in the reality of what has just happened and that what you read actually does change everything. Mark 5, Jesus has overturned death and brings life. A broken family has now been brought back together, and where people were grieving, there's now amazement and joy. You see, part of seeing Scripture for all it has is being willing to stop, to pause, and to linger in it, to come back to it again and again and again, simply because you want to be a witness of what has happened. Right? Because of Christ, nothing can stay the same. Nothing can stay the same, right? Think about the gospel. Of all the things that the gospel has done, it's helped prisoners find new life. When they heard about Jesus, nothing could stay the same. Right In World War II, those in the deepest despair of the Holocaust, they found meaning because they heard the gospel and nothing could stay the same. So many marriages have been brought back from the brink. They shouldn't have been savable, and yet when they heard the gospel, nothing could stay the same. There have been so many lonely people who have found a family because when they heard the gospel, nothing could stay the same. People have found purpose in their life when they really didn't think they had any because they heard the gospel and nothing could stay the same, right? There are people who love unlovable people because they've heard the gospel and nothing can stay the same, right? The words of God truly do change everything. And we know this. We're in this room because at one point, we realize that, you know what, the words of God changed everything about me, right? We know it, we've seen it, and we've tasted it. See, Tim and I don't get up every week 
to give you just a moral exhortation of like, ah, you know what, let's, let's read the Bible for something really good that you could do this week. No, we get up here and we preach because the words of God, we believe, have the power to change everything. It has the power to change everything about our town, has everything to change about our nation, has everything to change about our world. These words do not return void. Right? And so we get up here because we want you to hunger for something deeper. We want you to long for something. We want you, when you hear Jesus say, don't fear and only believe, you know what? I don't know where this is gonna end up, but I'm gonna keep walking. I'm gonna keep following because I know that you might take me somewhere better than I can imagine for myself. See, this is awe. This is wonder. And this is the power of the word of God to transform everything about us. And so how much do we limit it when we go, you know what? Scripture, do you have what I want? Rather, we want to ask the question, Scripture, what do you have? Give it all to me. I want to know everything that you have to give me. You know, things like this is why we gather at the table, right? Sometimes we're tempted to have that agenda. Sometimes we have this thought about this is who God is, and this is what God does for me, and this is what the church is for, and this is how the church fits into my life, and yet we come to a table And we see bread broken and a cup poured. And we realize that very truth, that nothing can actually be the same. Every presupposition we have is overturned. And Jesus is beckoning you and giving you that choice to come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. So as we come to this table again, we have that choice like Jairus. We can stay and keep the Bible in its own little box. God to our own expectations. This is how he is and this is how he operates and be comfortable with it. Or we can come to the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus and realize that nothing can ever be the same and we can come and witness again the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the words that change everything. And so as Jesus invited Jairus, we close with this, don't fear, only believe. Let's see where he takes us. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. Your word stands forever where the grass may wither and the flower may fade. And Lord, it's powerful. And sometimes we try to keep it in a box. We try to keep it so that we're comfortable. But Lord, you're always inviting us deeper. You're always inviting us to have our minds blown about how big you truly are. And so, Lord, I pray that we, even if we don't understand it, even if it takes a little bit of faith to walk, Lord, that we would follow you because you're leading us somewhere greater than we could even imagine for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust you today, that we would make that choice to come and taste and see that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen.